Welcome to Start to Finish, the XRTZO podcast, where we explore the scriptures to prepare and equip real people for real purpose. Here's your host, Dr. Christopher Romano. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Start to Finish podcast. It's another amazing day that you and I get to enjoy and explore God's Word together. Now, I'm Dr. Chris, your host, as always, and I'm looking so forward to another great episode here today on Start to Finish, the Exartizo podcast. Well, today marks week four of our series on the presence of God. And throughout this series, you've been introduced to a few students of mine, some from the past and some in the present, and they've shared their testimony or their experiences in the Bible school that I oversee, Vision Christian Bible College and Seminary. Now, if you can believe it, for the last 29 years, we at VCBCS have been producing world changers for the kingdom of God. Men and women, both here in the United States and across the globe, who've committed their lives to being equipped for the specific and particular work that God has called them to. Now, one of the really unfortunate myths about Bible colleges or Bible schools or schools of ministry, however you want to call them, but one of the unfortunate myths is that they're only for those who aspire to be pastors or, or missionaries or those who are looking to go into the so-called f- for, you know, full-time ministry. Now, now, for me, that's just simply ridiculous. That's not true at all. I mean, in the Bible, minister, the word minister is a verb. It's not a noun. It describes something that we do, it, not something uh, that, that we are. So the fact is, is that the scriptures commission and they expect every follower of Jesus to serve in ministry. It's why I often say that uh, if you're a Christian, then you're in full-time ministry. It doesn't matter about your position. It doesn't matter how long you've been uh, you know, in the kingdom or how long you've been saved. If you are a Christian, then you are in full-time ministry. Ministry is not just for a select few. So on the basis of that, it's, it's really important. It's essential that every single Christian receive uh, sound and, and true biblical, theological, and ministry training. And that's what we provide at VCBCS. Now, now it's my conviction, but it's also what the scriptures say. I, I mean, the scriptures are clear. In uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, the Bible says that God created each one of us for good works. He prepared them well beforehand, well before we were born, uh, that we would walk in them. And, and so we are made for good works. In John 15 and verse 16, Jesus said that he appointed all of us as his, uh, as his branches to bear fruit and that that fruit would remain. In 2 Timothy 1 and 9, he says that we were saved. Paul says we were saved and called with a holy calling. And you and me, not just the original 12 apostles, we were commissioned by King Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples of every single nation, teaching them, baptizing them, you know, calling them to repentance, calling them to faith in the good work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And so, listen, the truth is this, to maximize your potential and to deepen your influence, you have to devote yourself to continually and progressively 
growing. I love in Second Peter chapter 3, it's one of the last verses in, in Peter where Peter talks about the importance of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And that's something that we need to do on an everyday basis. And again, I'm, I'm likely preaching to the choir because here you are listening to this podcast with the motive, with the desire that you want to grow. And so um, I appreciate that uh, so much. And, and again, just want to encourage you uh, as you listen to these testimonies, as you listen uh, to these, these uh, past and present students of mine um, who are like you, they're like-minded, they're like-hearted, and they are committing themselves to seeing uh, the good work that's inside of them become a reality uh, through the process of training and equipping. Now, one of the avenues that we have created at VCBCS for men and women to grow is through our affiliate Campuses. Now, those campuses are directly hosted within local churches throughout the country. And, and the reason for this is because we believe deeply that all ministry should flow out of the local church. And so we've developed partnerships with local churches in order to bring VCBCS courses uh, directly to the student rather than students having to go off somewhere. Um, or, or go away somewhere to receive training, to receive ministry preparation, uh, to, to earn a degree. Um, we bring those programs, our degree programs, and our courses and our curriculum right to the local church. So within the local church environment and within the local church setting, um, believers can be trained and equipped right there uh, by their local leadership. Now, one of our campuses is in Salina, Ohio, and it's called New Life Christian Center. Now, what I want you to do is just take one brief moment and listen to the testimony of one of the directors of that campus. His name is Justin Momfort, and hear how Justin describes uh, New Life's experience with VCBCS and how our partnership with them has made a, a tremendous impact upon their church and their local congregation. Hello, my name is uh, Justin Monfort. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Christian Center in Salina, Ohio. I just briefly want to share with you some of the benefits of being in partnership with Vision Christian Bible College. Uh, I would say right off the bat, the first benefit is that you just get to work with a group of awesome individuals, you know, starting with Dr. Chris Romano all the way through the staff. Uh, we have just really had no issues uh, with any of anyone on the staff that anytime we need answers to anything, it's just one phone call or one email away. And uh, they're always prompt to reply and get the answers that we need. And, and so I think that's been probably the best benefit of all of just working with a, a wonderful group of people. Uh, the benefit for our church is that we have seen uh, growth in our church from the fact that we're offering these these classes every Tuesday night and following the, the guidance and the leadership of VCBC. Uh, we rotate the classes every four weeks, and it's a new offer that kind of, uh, it'll reach to a new audience every four weeks, and, and people will be looking for, you know, what is the, the church going to teach the next, you know, the next month. And uh, so it's, it's something that they're looking forward to, and it's really benefited us. And we've had even people in the community who aren't necessarily uh, members of our church who hear the classes and have been attending. And 
And we've had that happen several times. And in doing so, there's some people who have actually joined our church via just taking these classes that we've uh, been teaching from VCBC. And and so that's been a, a great blessing for us. And uh, also we have high school students right now who have signed up with VCBC taking these classes in high school and receiving college credit for it. And hopefully the long-term vision is for these students to transfer from going from uh, the high school classes that they've been taking to as they graduate from high school, they would jump right into our local campus here where we're partnered with VCBC and we can continue their education. Uh, so the, the, the benefits of being with VCBC have been great. And uh, I would highly encourage anyone who's listening that if, if you're looking for a place to partner uh, with in uh, biblical education at the college level, uh, you need to look no further. Uh, Vision Christian Bible College has been easily the best um, group of people we could ever ask to work for or work with. And I would encourage that for you as well. So have a great day. God bless and thank you. Well, thank you, Justin, and all of the incredible people at New Life Christian Center uh, for your friendship, for your partnership, uh, as well as the way in which you guys are making such a difference uh, in the lives of people advancing God's kingdom there in Southwest Ohio. I believe it's Mercer County. Uh, Justin's become a great friend of mine, along with uh, Jason King and Tom Sanford and, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of the gang there at New Life Christian Center. So we're very, very grateful for the work that God is doing there uh, through all of them. Now, let's uh, move on to today's teaching. And as we keep plugging along in our look into the presence of God, we reached a, a very important aspect uh, in last week's episode by talking a bit about the Bible bookends, right? So Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Now these two sections of scripture, are, I mean, they're monumental sections of scripture and, and uh, they, they form uh, what I said last week as to be the biblical foundation for understanding God's presence. And, and beyond that, they also contain, as you probably learned, just wildly similar features and images that help us to clearly see what God's intentions are for his relationship with people. Now, in a way, as chock full as those, uh, those particular chapters are, uh, their spotlight, if you will, is on the fact that God's presence is dwelling intimately with his people. So whether you're looking at uh, the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 or the end in Revelation 21 and 22, the, the unmistakable portrait that you get is God dwelling uh, relationally, intimately, personally with people, right? So it's not just that he's there uh, as some kind of ethereal, I don't know, impersonal manifestation. No, he's dwelling with humans, actually really and personally. And, and so this is what frames our, our picture of God's ultimate objective, uh, as well as the structure and context for, for the entire storyline of, of the Bible. And, and that is essentially the presence of God that was provided for without measure and, and without limit uh, in the beginning. And then, of course, it, it's lost at the fall, but then ultimately restored 
in the end. And so this storyline is what orients us to uh, understand the entire narrative of of Scripture. And and again, it, it helps us to recognize how God's presence will appear throughout the Bible, uh, kind of in the middle of those two very important bookends. Now, as we seek to grasp how the presence of God is revealed from the garden to the coming new earth, it's important to recall that at the fall, in addition to forfeiting his purpose and his mission, which which of course uh, Adam did, he also was separated and exiled from the presence of God. Now, more specifically, he was cut off from the place, the very place where he could experience and meet with God. So I want to take a second and just read those, those portions of scripture. It's in Revel, it's, excuse me, Revelation. Uh, see how easy it is to mix up uh, Genesis and Revelation. But it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be reading from verse 22 through 24. So it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we see clearly in that passage of scripture, and it, it, it's certainly a tragic uh, you know, moment in the history of, of, of God's people, but you see Adam being banished, being exiled, right? So he places this cherubim there to guard uh, the throne of God, to guard the presence of God, literally expressed in what is referred to there as the tree of life. So this banishment becomes the Ah, the apex, if you will, of the curse, right? So the very one who was created and chosen by God to encounter his presence and then furthermore extend his presence to the rest of the world is now banished from God's very dwelling place. Now, this goes without saying that this is bad news, right? This is the bad news. And yet it's made even worse when you consider that sin's infection has spread uh, to all of Adam's offspring, even to uh, the present day. But of course, uh, wherever in God, wherever there's bad news, there's also good news, right? I mean, that's if you know anything about God and anything about the gospel, you know that God is bigger than Adam's rebellion. He's bigger than Adam's insurrection. And so even within God's judgment of his rebellion, there's mercy in the form of of a promise. So what Adam failed to do, God would step in and do himself. And though man is now expelled from Eden, you know, from Genesis 3 uh, onward, God is going to take steps to ensure that man's future would include the opportunity to once again be near to God. I mean, that's the heart of God and that's the heart of the gospel, that because of God's grace, there is hope in disaster, that there's mercy in judgment, that there is good news in spite of bad news, right? So that's that's not just applicable to that particular moment 
in the garden, you will see that reality as it reciprocates throughout history, even to our lives today. So we can take that, that principle and we can take that reality. And even in uh, the distressing, uh, discouraging, uh, traumatic moments of our lives, we can cling to the hope that in bad news, there's, there's good news. And there's always, always, always uh, an opportunity to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. From Genesis 3, uh, you're going you're gonna to notice this, and this is a, this is a really important uh, transition, but in, in Genesis 3, the creator God will then, you know, become the redeemer. Uh, and so um, the creator becomes the redeemer, and from that point, as the drama of, you know, the, the, the process of redemption will unfold, uh, God is going to progressively make a way for his people to come back into his presence. And so we could never, ever, ever underestimate um, the importance of those Bible bookends. That's why if you hear me teach and if you hear me preach, you're going to hear often about the importance of, of those two Bible bookends, Genesis 1-2, Revelation 21 and 22. And, and as a side note, remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I encouraged every single one of you to take some time and read those two sections of Scripture consecutively. Read Genesis 1, then 2, and then read Revelation 21 and, and Revelation 22, and do it over the course of seven days. And I'm telling you, you, you will find uh, some, some mind-blowing similarities, uh, but also that beautiful, harmonious synchronization that will make the Bible come alive for you. And it really will, as you work through uh, the intermediate parts from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, it will make it come alive to you. It will make it make much more sense to you. So I really, really encourage you to do that at some point here in the near future. Now, I mentioned that through um, through the, the, the process of redemption, that God is going to make a way for his people to experience his presence. Now, the primary way he's going to do this is through the institution of covenants. Now, we discussed covenants a bit during the series, the last series that we did on the kingdom of God. So I'm not going to exhaust a lot of time here uh, regarding covenants, but it is important to point out that the way in which God restores and redeems uh, relationship with his people is, is going to be through covenants. So starting with Adam in the garden, all the way to Jesus and the coming of the new covenant, God will take responsibility uh, for his original mandate to Adam, right? So he made promises and he's going to fulfill those promises. And, and covenants are the ways in which God, uh, I don't know, kind of cleans up the mess uh, of Adam, so to speak. And he opens the door uh, for man to experience his presence. Now, among other facets of, of the covenant, and there's a lot involved in covenants, but among, among, among the many facets uh, is, is that every single covenant includes the promise of God's presence dwelling with man. So, for example, in God's covenant that he makes with Abraham, he declares, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now, that's Genesis 17 and verse 7. Uh, he will then say to Israel, prior to the establishment of the Mosaic Covenant, he will say, and I will take you as my people, you being Israel, I will take you as my people, and I will be 
your God. That's Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7. Now, he will repeat this refrain uh, throughout the tumultuous history of the Jewish people, particularly through the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And speaking of Ezekiel, in one of uh, the hallmark passages of the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God speaks of a coming new covenant that will be characterized once again with God pledging himself and his presence to humanity. So in Ezekiel 36 and verse 28, God says, then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And here it is again, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, of course, this is going to be made possible through the first arrival of Jesus, who, like we said last week, is referred to as Emmanuel or God with us. And they're going to, that, that reality is going to be climaxed at Jesus's second arrival, right? The second coming of Jesus, which is announced in Revelation 21, verse 3. We read this last time, but in verse 3, uh, he says, the tabernacle of God uh, is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So as we can see, at the very core of all of the covenants is God's desire to establish and reveal his presence. He is fiercely committed to being with the people that he loves. Sin is not going to stop it. Death is not going to stop it. God is going to have his way, and his way is to be with his people. Now, with the remaining time that we have on today's episode, I'd like to consider one of the larger themes of the Bible. It's actually one of the one of the one of the, one of the the, the most robust as well, but largest themes in the Bible. Uh, and it appears specifically uh, in the presence of these covenants. And that is the theme of the altar, the altar. Now, the altar was probably the most common ancient sanctuary. Um, it existed throughout you know, the history of God's dealings with his people. And um, I mean, the revelation of the altar is very progressive. Uh, it starts in the garden. Uh, we've mentioned that a few times uh, on this podcast about how God, you know, covered Adam and Eve. He covered their nakedness. He covered their sin. He covered their shame. He covered their guilt uh, with the skins of an animal, an animal that was, you know, presumably innocent. Um, and, and so we see that the altar or the, um, the revelation of the altar, uh, begins in, in that moment, uh, in the garden. Eden. you also see it in, uh, the next chapter, Genesis chapter four with Abel as Abel was, uh, obviously instructed by his father, uh, Adam to bring an offering to the Lord. And so you see Abel, Abel doing that. Uh, and to bring an offering, obviously, he's got to make a sacrifice. Uh, you also see it with with Noah. Now, what's interesting about uh, Noah is in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, it's the first time in the Bible that you see the word altar. So if you're reading your English Bible, you'll see, you'll see altar for the first time. But that that English word actually comes from a Hebrew word uh, that's that's called misbeach, misbeach. And that word is the, the Hebrew word for altar. And so what you see with Noah is Noah is building an altar and he's offering a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, but, but probably the time that you see it uh, most often, the idea of an altar or the presence of an altar is in the life of the patriarchs, Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob. I mean, you, you basically see altars everywhere. Everywhere they go, you see altars. And so when these men are building altars, what they're doing is they're building a sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? A sanctuary is simply a dwelling place for God's presence to dwell with them. Um, another way to say it is that in, in constructing an altar, what they were doing was they were establishing holy ground. So when an altar was built, it, it was essentially these men dedicating the, the particular ground that the altar was built upon. It, they were dedicating that space uh, to God. And so in, in, that, in that moment, that ordinary ground, that ordinary dirt, that ordinary pile of rocks uh, literally becomes a holy place. And so, I mean, lots of things happen at these altars. I mean, uh, you, could, you could go through, uh, again, particularly the patri- patriarchs and see this, but, but, um, but lots of things are happening at these altars. And primary among them are the fact that God will visit people at these altars. He'll visit them, he'll speak to them, he'll communicate with them, and he will provide revelation for them. So it's important to point out that the word altar literally means the place of slaughter, the place of slaughter. So as we mentioned, an altar is a place where a sacrifice or an offering was made. And as you can imagine, and maybe you should imagine it. Um, it's certainly different than a lot of times in the in the in the images that we get. Um, whether it's people who have provided, uh, you know, paintings or, or portraits, or I don't know. I'm not really sure. You know what 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 images are conjured up in your mind. Um, but the fact of the matter is this: that at this place of slaughter or at these altars, I mean, it was not pretty at all. It it was bloody. Uh, it was loud. You can you can imagine uh, these bulls, these cows, these sheep who are who are who are literally suffering, right? Brutally. Um, it was smelly. I mean, you have these animals' hair and their fat, and the bodies are being burned. Um, and this happened every single day, often during the day, particularly in 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 the life of Israel, um, or in you know during during the uh, the old covenant period. Um, because he had required daily sacrifices uh, at the brazen altar of uh, of the tabernacle, and then later on in the temple. So it's not a pretty place. It was ugly, brutal, and it was it was it was chaotic, right? Anything but a quiet, peaceful shrine, if you will. Um, or even if you think about Solomon's temple, right? I mean, the day, uh, the particular day that he sacrificed to the Lord uh, when they. When they inaugurated the, the, the temple, I mean, you had a hundred thousand sheep, a hundred thousand sheep, and and twenty two thousand bulls, and they're being slaughtered. I mean, wow, um, it's just incredible to think about. And um, but you know, the most important thing I think to think about is that the reality of all of this, and the reality of the altar, uh, is pointing to the dreadful consequences of sin. I mean, the need for altars and uh, the need for offerings and sacrifices uh, were, were only because of sin. R- I mean, Romans 6, 23 rightly says, the wages of sin is death. And we can never, ever forget how costly 
sin is, how awful sin is, and ultimately that sin leads to death and leads to destruction. So when you think about altar, one of the first things that should come to mind is the fact that um, you know the altars are are confront us with the reality of our sin, and we have to deal with that. We have to we have to face that, right? However, uh, the altar also points to the cross. Uh, and in fact, the, the, the pinnacle revelation of an altar is the cross of Calvary, the cross of Jesus, because Calvary was an altar. Again, not pretty, not attractive, full of blood, a place of slaughter. Um, and, and the fact is that every altar that, you, that appears before, before the cross, I mean, every single one of them, starting in the garden and moving forward, every single one of them points to and finds its fulfillment at the cross of Calvary. Now, let's let's hold on to that for a moment and think about this. The specifics of an altar were that um, they often consisted in a, in a built-up pile of rocks and dirt. So, literally, altars were an elevated place. They were off the ground. They were an ascended place, and it was at that ascended place that God would meet with man. Now, this was particularly important in the theology of the Jews because they understood that the ground, because of the fall, the ground was cursed, right? So sin, um, you know, brought about a curse and, and it affected not just Adam and his relationship with God, but it affected all of creation. And in particular, it affected the ground. So from, from their view, prior to the fall, God walked with man on the earth. We see that in, in Genesis chapter three. God walks with man on the earth because sin wasn't an issue. But once Adam sinned, the earth was cursed, and so God could no longer walk in harmony and relationship with man. So therefore, God required an elevated place that wasn't affected by the curse. And it was at that place that he could dwell with man um, and, and experience relationship. Now, Again, this is all a foreshadow of Jesus and his cross, right? So the cross was the place where Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was lifted up. John chapter 12 talked about this. He was lifted up. And on the cross, he's lifted up. And what happens? He's slaughtered on behalf of humanity's sin. And it's from the cross that God calls out to man. And what does he do? He announces to come to the altar, come to the altar. To, to the final and ultimate author or altar and and be reconciled to to me come and, and experience forgiveness of of sin and come and receive my grace and my goodness and come and receive the blessings of, of new life and and so just as God you know would communicate and speak to uh you know men and women throughout history I'm thinking of the patriarchs again he would speak to Abraham he would speak to Isaac remember he spoke to Jacob in that powerful moment um, at Bethel, Jacob would call it Bethel or the house of God. And he revealed himself to him, uh, you know, at the cross, the, the ultimate altar, God speaks to and communicates to humanity, extending his arms outward. Literally, Jesus had his arms extended outwardly, inviting whosoever to come and receive what God was offering at that altar. And so, you know, just as he made promises uh, to to people uh, at those altars, he made promises to us and to every person who will come after us at that cross. Wow! And uh, you know, I'm thinking of um, you know, the scriptures we talked about earlier, where God announces, "I want to be your God," and and I want you to be 
my my people. And that's really the message, of course, of the cross. So the lesson ultimately of the altar is that something died so that you can live. Something died so that you can live. And at, and at the cross, at Calvary, God chose to offer his son, his eternal love, right? And he offered him on your behalf so that Jesus dies so that you can live and you can enjoy the benefits of the presence of God. That's the way it was supposed to be, like Eden in the beginning. And yet, even better than Eden, because the cross hints at something that history will ultimately realize as it continues to unfold to the second coming of Jesus, to the establishment of the, of the new earth, not just a dwelling place of God with man, but an eternal dwelling place of God with man. That's the lesson of the altar. That's the power of the altar. That's the power of the cross. And it's available for you and for me to come to experience God, to experience his presence at an elevated place, at an ascended place where we can have confidence that God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. He's a God of his word. He's a God of his promise. He's the God of the covenant. He's the God of the altar. He's a God who wants to be near to you, and he's made provision for that. So you and I should come. Well, that will do it for today's episode of Start to Finish, the Exartizo podcast, uh, an, an incredible episode of revealing truth that helps us to see the, the scope and the shape of the presence of God as it unfolds in the midst of those Bible bookends, Genesis 1-2, Revelation 21 and 22. I hope you were encouraged uh, by, in particular, by the, the, the message and the reality of the altar uh, the altar is an important study in the midst of the, the larger study of covenants. And so when you look into the subject of the presence of God, you run headfirst into covenants, you run headfirst into altar, and altar, again, is a progressive revelation that teaches us about the importance of the cross and the importance of you know, God speaking to us, meeting us at the cross, and all the things that he promises us at the cross. Now, the key is that when we come to the cross— we come, uh, first of all, humbly. We come open. We come, uh, you know, prepared to be completely trans- transparent and, and receive God's provision of life for our sin. It literally is an exchange. We say, uh, God, uh, it's no longer I who live. It's, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer me. It's no longer my agenda it's no longer my desires. It's no longer my ambitions. It's, it's what you want. It's, it's what you have for my life. And so as we talked about earlier in the podcast, that we're created for good works. Um, you know, we don't want to uh, make the mistake of avoiding the path that leads to those good works becoming a reality. And the way that you ensure that, the way that I ensure that, is we walk in, in daily communion with God is that we commit our life to a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle of faithfulness, a lifestyle of, lo- of loyalty to God, our King, and His kingdom. So before I let you guys go today, I certainly want to pray with you and for you. 
And uh, so, Father, thank you for another episode. Thank you for another opportunity to gather around your word. Your word is power. Your word is life. Your word is everything that we need uh, to live a life that pleases you, to live a life that honors you, and to live a life that is fruitful for you as we live here on the earth. Now, I pray for every listener. I pray, God, that you would sanctify them, body, soul, and spirit, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, and that you would help them, God, to realize your undying affection for them, how you are so committed, fully committed, all in uh, to revealing your presence to them um, and, and every day. Uh, for the rest of their lives. Now, I thank you, God, and, and I, I, I trust that you will uh, keep us, that you will sustain us until we all gather once again next week around this same place in the same space. Uh, we honor you. We love you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, guys, thanks so much once again for spending time with me here on the Start to Finish podcast. It is a joy of mine. Uh, It certainly is something I look forward to uh, each and every week. So uh, until we meet again next time, be well, be safe, be healthy, be blessed, look to your God, come to the altar, uh, enjoy his presence, find everything that he has uh, desired and intended for you to experience there uh, at the altar. And uh, as always, I will see you guys again real soon.